0: Hello again, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Michael Murphy, and after a brief break, this is Episode 9 of The InDesigner, the podcast that provides information, instruction, and insight for designers using Adobe InDesign. I've taken a week off while working to meet a massive deadline, a 528-page issue of my magazine, which just went to the printer last night, exactly on schedule. 528 pages in 35 business days, that's more than 15 pages a day turned around. As I mentioned in the last episode, this is the first time that this once-a-year mammoth issue has been done entirely with InDesign, and coincidentally, it's the only one that's ever been done on schedule. More proof that making the switch was the right choice for me, and the right choice for my publication. In talking about this project last week and going over some major workflow changes I put in place over the past year to prepare for it, I mentioned something called grep pattern searching that allows me to pre-format pages and pages of text in a text editing application in one or two simple steps so I can place the text in InDesign completely formatted with multiple style sheets applied. Rather than make a whole podcast out of how to do that, I put up a post at www.theindesigner.com all about grep pattern searching, so that anyone interested could learn more about it before I get around to doing a video podcast covering it sometime in the future. Check out the post on the site. It's called grep pattern searching, and it explains the basic concept pretty simply. And while I'm talking about the site, I just want to thank everyone who's contacted me through the blog or by sending me an email to info at the I welcome the feedback, positive or negative, from any of you listening, and I'm always happy to help answer InDesign questions or clarify anything covered in the podcast that people would like more information about. So stay in touch. Okay, enough old business, let's get down to some new stuff. This week I'd like to talk about transparency in InDesign and some of the things to be aware of when working in transparency so that the effect you wanted is the effect you get on the page and how to avoid potential problems that you didn't expect at all. In episode 3, I briefly included transparency in the list of features that you no longer really need to rely exclusively on Photoshop to accomplish. But this week I'm going to talk more practically about which transparency options are available in InDesign, how best to set up the files that contain transparency, what happens to transparent objects and areas when you output your pages, and what you don't want to happen to transparent objects and areas when you output your pages. Let's break down the two types of transparency in InDesign, what I call supported transparency and built-in transparency. These are not official Adobe names, just terms I'm using to differentiate two types of transparency you'll deal with in InDesign. What I call supported transparency refers to placed images or graphics from transparency-friendly applications like Illustrator, Photoshop, and Acrobat. The transparency that's present in native files from those applications is recognized and understood when placed in an InDesign document. For example, if I place a layered Photoshop file that has an object on a layer with a blending mode of multiply and an opacity setting of 60%, that file, when placed in InDesign, will interact with areas of the InDesign layout with those same settings, it will be only 60% opaque, and will blend with anything that it's placed over in a way consistent with the multiply blend mode. What I call built-in transparency refers to transparency features available right within InDesign, such as drop shadows, opacity and blend modes, Using the same placed image I just mentioned, I could further lighten it by making a change to its opacity using the transparency palette within InDesign. If I adjusted that placed image's opacity setting from to, say, 50%, I've essentially reduced its overall opacity to 30%, because the original layer in Photoshop was only 60% opaque when I placed it, and I've cut that down again by half in InDesign. So how do you know if you have transparency in your file? It's a valid question if you work in a collaborative environment. You may have inherited the job from someone else or been provided with files to place in a layout, so you don't know everything about the files from the time they were created. There are two very fast, foolproof ways to figure out if there are any supported or built-in transparent objects in your file. The first and fastest is to look at the Pages palette. Any page in the palette that has a grey and white checkerboard pattern in its icon has transparency. Page icons that are solid white represent pages that have no transparency. Now, one quick note about this, if your file is set up as spreads, the icons for both pages in the spread will have checkerboard patterns, even if the transparent object or objects exist only on one of the pages in the spread. Don't ask me why, that's just how Adobe set it up. The second way to find out if you have transparent objects in your file is to check your document with InDesign's built-in preflight function. That's Shift-Command-Option-F on the Mac, or Shift-Control-Alt-F on the PC. Toward the bottom of the Pre-Flight Summary window, there's information about which page or pages in your file contain non-opaque objects. Once you know you've got transparency in your file, what do you do with that knowledge? The short answer is you use it to take a few steps to make sure that this great feature doesn't backfire on you when you print your job. How exactly does transparency jeopardize a successful printing job? It's not that transparency itself is the problem. It's the process by which the transparency you see on screen gets translated to the printed page. That process is called flattening. And if you're not aware of how flattening works before you output your job, you could have some unwanted and very noticeable problems. Here's the simplest way to think of it. The basic elements in your InDesign file, shapes, text, and image frames, etc., are all objects. That is, they can be explained by math. A regular frame in an InDesign file exists as a certain series of coordinates and a certain width by a certain height. It's filled with a solid color, and that color can also be represented by math. The percentage of values of cyan, magenta, yellow, and black. Same goes for rules, strokes, type, and any other basic opaque object. You could blow that page up to the size of a 10-story building and everything would be scaled up automatically and look perfect at the new, larger size. Not so, however, with the images placed in your layout, right? A 300 pixel per inch image starts looking pretty bad as soon as you go over 100% because it's not defined by math. It's defined by a finite number of pixels per inch. Now, this basic premise of vectors and bitmaps goes back to the earliest days of digital print production and should be a concept familiar to most of you listening to this podcast. Think of transparency as the place where vectors and bitmaps meet, and flattening as the process that determines which areas of your page remain as vector art and which will be rasterized. For example, if you have a headline set in InDesign and part of it falls over a colored box or stroke, and you put a drop shadow on the type for that headline, here's what happens. The type will remain as vector art, and most of the box or stroke behind it will remain as vector art. But the area where the drop shadow and that box or stroke interact will be turned into a bitmapped image in the flattening process. Then, this newly rasterized portion of your page will be stitched together with the vector portions to recreate what you originally intended. Why doesn't the type get bitmapped too, you might ask, since that's what the drop shadow was applied to? It's because the drop shadow doesn't actually interact with the type. By its very nature, a drop shadow falls behind what it's applied to. So the type itself is able to act as a vector mask, separating it cleanly from the drop shadow and avoiding the need for rasterization. It's what's affected by the drop shadow, namely the edges of the box or stroke behind the type over which the drop shadow falls, that has to be rasterized to properly render the changes in opacity, the soft edges, the noise level of the shadow, etc., This example illustrates a basic concept that will help you properly set up transparency in your documents to avoid unnecessary, or worse, unwanted rasterization in your files. That basic concept is the proper layering of your elements so that rasterization only occurs where absolutely necessary. The rule of thumb is if your transparent object must affect objects beneath it text, a tinted box, a rule, anything. It should go above them. But if it doesn't affect what's beneath it, get that transparent object onto its own layer below the elements that surround it to avoid any of them getting rasterized. I'm going to post an example on the website at www.theindesigner.com that illustrates this, but let me quickly describe it here so that you can get the idea. Say you have a newsletter called Good Books, and the logo at the top of the page is just the words Good Books, set as type in initial caps, an uppercase G and an uppercase B, and the rest in lowercase. Picture those two words. With the uppercase letters at the beginning, and the D and the B respectively at the ends of each word, uh, you've got kind of a little typographic valley forming in each word where the two lowercase O's are. Uh, in those spaces, uh, you want to put two book covers with drop shadows, let's say. Now I'm not saying this is good design, it's just a good example. So you tuck your book cover art nicely in those spaces, coming pretty close to the edges of the type, but not actually touching it. Now you can add now you add drop shadows to the books. The size of the drop shadow extends out to the edges of the type in the words "good books. Will that type get rasterized or not? The answer is, it depends. If the book art is on the same layer as, or on a layer above the good books type, then that drop shadow is falling over the edges of the type, and yes, it will cause some rasterization. Why? Because transparent elements and vector elements are interacting. The soft edges of the drop shadow are on top of the type, probably changing its color a bit. If the book art is on a layer below the type, no rasterization will occur. Why not? Because there's no interaction between the transparency in the drop shadow and the edges of the type. The drop shadow exists behind the type and has no impact on its color or how it needs to be rendered. Therefore, no rasterization. Why is this important? Because when you don't understand this premise, and you create a job with seemingly innocent, simple transparency applied a drop shadow here, a box with less than 100% opacity there, you may find some very unwanted side effects of the rasterization process. I know this because I've done it. When I first started out using InDesign, and I discovered the mistake only when the job was back from the printer and it was too late not good and not cheap to fix either. Since then I've learned the ins and outs of transparency and I keep that knowledge in mind as I work on my layouts and as I prepare them to go to press. What I did was put an image of the cover of a magazine with a text wrap around it over some body copy. The image was in a rectangular graphic frame, rotated a bit and it pushed into the text frame to its right just to break up the page and create some visual interest. On screen, everything looked great. I had a nice soft drop shadow appearing to lift lift the cover off the page, and my text flowed nicely around the contour of this angled image. What I didn't see was, because of the drop shadow falling over the body copy, and we're talking like 10-point type here, that portions of my text were going to get rasterized because of their interaction with the drop shadow. And I mean portions, not whole words, not even whole letters. In some cases, only as much of the text as was necessary to complete the drop shadow effect. This rasterization caused my text to thicken and darken. Now, if all my text thickened and darkened, it would be unfortunate, but at least it all looked consistent. But only those portions of the type that fell within the edges of the drop shadow got rasterized. So I'd have a 10-point letter M that was half raster and half vector. Half of the M was chunky and made up of multiple colors because the drop shadow had percentages of process colors in it. And the other half was razor-sharp, thin, postscript type in only 100% black. It was an obvious and embarrassing mistake for which I could only claim ignorance as an excuse. And I don't want this happening to my listeners, so I'm passing it along. So now that you're all terrified of transparency's hidden dangers, you'll want to know how to protect yourself, right? Well, don't panic. Like I said, avoiding this issue is as simple as understanding it and working accordingly. And InDesign has tools built in to help you. You'll find them by going to Window, Output, Flattener Preview, which opens up the Flattener Preview palette. If you work with transparency, remember this palette and use it. It will show you where flattening is going to take place on any page in your document with transparent objects. Even if you think you've set your document up properly by layering transparent objects below other objects, it's always a good idea to pop open this palette and let the application verify it for you. Depending on what you select to be shown, InDesign will grey out everything on your page that isn't going to be rasterized, and highlight in red everything that is. You really can't ask for more help than that, and you can get pretty specific as to what you want to see by selecting any of the different options under the Highlight pull-down menu. The one I choose to have InDesign highlight most often is Raster Fill Text and Strokes, because the things that will have the most adverse reaction to rasterization are small, body size text, and fine strokes. But you can choose from eight different highlighting options in this palette. Their names are mostly self-explanatory, rasterized complex regions, transparent objects, all affected objects, affected graphics, etc., And the InDesign help file explains each one in greater detail, so you should familiarize yourself with that too. Long story short, if you made a mistake in your layering, this is where you'll see it before you see it on press, or worse, in the finished printed job. You also have some control about how the flattening of your file is handled when you export to a PDF. In the Export Adobe PDF dialog box under the Advanced section is a setting called Transparency Flattener, which lets you choose the resolution preset for the flattening of your file. The default settings are low, medium, and high resolution, but you can create your own flattener presets that determine whether InDesign favors vectors or rasters uh, in its flattening of your file. You can do this by selecting Transparency Flattener Presets, from the little flyout menu on the Flattener Preview palette. There's a screenshot of this on the website to help you find it easier. Transparency is a long-awaited, powerful, efficient, and creativity-expanding feature in InDesign that should not be shied away from for fear of unexpected results. Eliminating that risk is as simple as proper layering and double-checking yourself with the Flattener Preview function. And, like all things, these steps become second nature the more you use and get familiar with them. I'm going to put screen captures of the examples I've mentioned on the website at www.theindesigner.com to demonstrate uh, how proper and improper layering is revealed by the Flattener preview and how you view and determine the Flattener preset settings. Hopefully that will provide some visual backup to what I've been talking about in this episode. So check that out online once you're done listening to the podcast. As always, if you've got questions, comments, or suggestions about the podcast, please post them on the website or email me at info at the And for those of you subscribing to the podcast through iTunes, you may or may not know that the iTunes Music Store now lets customers post reviews of music, videos, and podcasts. So if you like the podcast, I'd appreciate it if... Uh Some of you could take a minute and give the podcast a quick review on the music store. I'm hoping it'll boost its ranking there and attract more potential listeners. Uh, Plus, I'm always interested in what people have to say, positive or negative, about the podcast so that I can keep it useful for the largest possible audience, and seeing what people say in those reviews will go a long way toward that end. One last thing before I go. This coming Thursday, February 2nd, I will be attending the New York InDesign User Group meeting at the Katie Murphy Amphitheater at the Fashion Institute of Technology. Uh, the meeting starts at 6.30, and I highly recommend you attend if you're in New York and you want to learn a lot about InDesign. I'll post a link to the website if you want to register online to attend. Until next time, this is Michael Murphy for the InDesigner Podcast. Thanks for listening.